Um, good morning. The scripture reading today is from John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning. Everybody okay? Get sorted here. If you do have your Bibles, um, open up to John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. You're going to be here all day long. Um, no, you will not. Um, let me pray one more time. Um, uh, Father, we just thank you that we can freely come before you in Jesus. We can know you. Uh, we can commune with you. We can receive power from you. And would you remind us today of these beautiful truths? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you were here with us um, just over a year ago, um, we opened our Bibles to Luke 18, and we looked at the parable of the persistent widow. Um, and, and it was really that, that, that parable that, that Jesus told that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Um, it's this parable that lifted up this widow as a model for our prayers, that we should be praying uh, desperate and incredibly bold and persistent prayers. Um, and it's really through, through that scripture, through asking really these questions of, of, does that describe our church? Like, are we a church that's always praying and praying boldly and desperately and persistently? Um, and, and, and then through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he really led us into this this year of prayer, um, this, this year of, of just dedicating ourselves to asking that question, um, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Um, would, you, would you make us to be a, a people that pray? Um, really, there's, there's one scripture that kind of we kept coming back to, and it's John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And we were asking ourselves really that question, are we a church that believes Jesus when he says that? That apart from him, we can do nothing. Um, are we a church that, that wholeheartedly believes that? Um, if, if we were, we would be a community that's always praying and not losing heart, and we pray big, desperate, persistent prayers. Um, a lot of times our prayerlessness comes down to the fact that we don't believe him when he says that. Um, we, we, we think we can do this on our own, right? We, if we, we just have a little bit more time, a little bit more planning, another meeting, uh, some more money, um, some, some more effort, we can do this. Um, and Jesus says, no, you can't. Um, he says, you, you cannot. I'm the vine. You are branches. You must stay connected to me. My, my power will actually flow into your life by prayer. 
And if you disconnect yourself from the vine, you will wither away and die. Really, he's G- Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, that prayer is the only way forward, and that we must remain with him. We must have our hearts aligned with his heart. And when we do, um, power will flow. It's an incredible passage. Um, and that's, that's true always, okay? That, that's true for, for every area of your life. Last week, Alan uh, shared some really helpful wisdom on, on sharing the gospel, having gospel conversations with the lost people in our life. Um, we must do that, okay? That, that's our, the primary mission that Jesus has sent us out to do. Uh, the, the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, I think it's on the screen, uh, he says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What, what a statement, right? Uh, all authority is Jesus's in heaven and on earth. And so he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? That's the mission he sent us out on. And if, if we're not doing that, if we're not sharing the gospel with the lost people in our, in our lives, like what are we even doing? It's Jesus made it so plain, but listen to me, apart from Jesus, we can't do it. And, that, and that's why he said at the very end of that great commission, he says, go, but I'm going to go with you, right? I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Go and do this, but you can't do it alone, um, your efforts will actually be fruitless. Your efforts will be vanity. Um, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Jesus believed that verse. Jesus lived that verse, and nothing's changed, really. Okay, so, so should we evangelize our, our friends and our family who don't know Jesus? We must, right? We absolutely must, but the first step in doing that is prayer. Um, I, I don't want to go into those conversations without the resurrection power of Jesus that's available to me. Do you? I do not, um, so we must pray. Um, what about other areas of, of life? Um, think of missional communities. Um, huge part of our church, guess what? They're pointless. They're, they're fruitless. It's vanity without Jesus. But with Jesus, they're filled with great power. And so we must approach those groups um, saturating them with prayer. If you don't, you'll, you'll burn out and it'll eventually get frustrating and, and you'll quit. And some of you who are parents, you're realizing uh, this is an impossible task apart from Jesus. And so the most important part of approaching parenting and family life must be prayer. But it's not always. Um, and so um, I want to ask you some of those questions that I asked a year ago. How's your prayer life? What are your, what are your prayers like? Um, are they bold? Are they any more bolder, any, any bigger than they were a year ago? Are, are, they, are, you, are you experiencing any more persistence in your praying? Are you, hopefully by the end of this year, not more dependent on self, but actually more desperate for Jesus? Um, listen to me, I don't want to guilt you this morning um, I don't want you to be, oh, what a waste of a year, what I failed, okay, if that's, if that's what you're thinking. Um, the goal isn't to guilt you into praying more. Um, if that's what you leave today feeling, I've completely failed this morning. Um, here's what I want. Here's the, here's the aim for this morning. Uh, my goal is, is for our eyes to be opened 
to the truth of who Jesus is, the, the truth of, of who your heavenly Father is, the, the truth of God making his home in you by his Holy Spirit, and therefore, what power is available to you. Let me say that again. That's the goal for today, to open our eyes to the truth of who Jesus is, and therefore, in him, who our heavenly Father is, and then the truth of God making his home in us by his spirit, and then therefore, because of those truths, the power that's available to us. And when you believe those truths, there's only one reasonable response, and that is to pray bold, desperate, persistent kind of prayers. Um, and the, the reason I want that to be the, the kind of goal today is because um, that was actually, I think, the main thing that Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples uh, that night before he was crucified. So John chapters 13 to 17, um, probably my favorite part of Scripture. Um, it's this scene that, that gives us the final hours that Jesus spent with his disciples before his death. Um, it's this scene where they gather in this upper room in, in Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus washes their feet, and they share one last meal together, one final Passover meal. And Jesus prays for them, this incredible prayer. And really through those chapters is this final discourse um, that he has with his closest friends before he's crucified. And if you've ever, if you've ever lost someone you've, you love unexpectedly, then you'll know what that scene is maybe like. And that you, you, if you lose someone unexpectedly, you, you remember and you cherish those last conversations, Right? Um, when I was 17, my best friend in the world uh, was killed in a car accident, and, and out of God's kindness, uh, we got to spend his last night on earth together, and he was over at our, our house, and we had some friends over, and it was just before Halloween, so we were carving pumpkins, and uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, is, uh, I remember the details of that, of that night really, uh, yeah, really acutely, um, and, and that's kind of like what's happening here with Jesus and his disciples, except one big difference, and that's that Jesus, he's aware that he's about to die, okay? So he's incredibly intentional with these conversations that he's having here. He's, he has some important things to tell them. These, these, these are, I'm, I need to prepare you for what's about to come and for his eventual, eventual departure from them. And I think when you read those chapters, um, at risk of oversimplifying them, because he says a lot, I think the main thread running through those chapters is prayer. Jesus is wanting to remind his disciples who he is and therefore who their heavenly father is and that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in them and therefore what power is available to them. Um, it's this lesson on belief and prayer. I want to read you a few passages um, from that, that night where Jesus makes some extravagant promises about prayer. The first one was, um, Caroline already read, but read it again. John 14, 12 to 14. He says, truly, 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 I, tell, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 7, he says, If you abide in me 
and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 15, 15 to 16, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you, and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then lastly, John 16 22 to 23, this is the same night. This is within the same like, setting, the few hours. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, I, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And this is, this, these chapters, they're a lesson on belief and prayer. Twelve different times we find the word believe. Fourteen different times we find the word ask. And those, those six different times there, he puts that together and he gives us these extravagant promises about prayer. Ask for anything and I'll do it. How you feel? What do we do with those verses? Ask for whatever. Ask for anything and I'll do it. Like, what do we do with those blank checks that Jesus gives us? These extravagant promises. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll ask you this question again. Do you believe Jesus when he says these things? Do, do you believe him when he makes these extravagant promises? I think there's three, three reasonable uh, answers to that question. Uh, you might be sitting there and you're thinking, no. I, I do not believe him when he says these things, and, and I'll tell you why, is because I've asked and I've not received, right? I've, I've tried this, and it doesn't work. And you, you, that's your personal experience. You, you might even be thinking there with your Bible hat on, this, isn't, this doesn't even line up with the rest of Scripture, right? What about Paul, when, when he repeatedly prays that God will remove that thorn in his flesh, and the answer is No. What about Mary and Martha when they ask Jesus, come and help our, our dying brother, and he says, not yet, and he dies. Okay, so, so you, you'd say, no, I don't believe Jesus when he says these things. And listen, if your answer is a straight up no, I appreciate your honesty, okay? Uh, Jesus says, don't be lukewarm, be yes or no, be hot or cold. Um, so if, at least you're being honest, and, and that's a really good thing. There's no pathway forward unless you're being honest. So you might just be a no. Um, some of you might say, absolutely, yes. Um, I, I, I definitely believe Jesus that when he says, ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Um, and, and if that's you, if you're an absolutely yes, then there's only one evidence of that in your life. You're someone who prays desperate and bold and persistent kind of prayers. But I'm gonna guess that, that most of us will answer in a third way where you'd say, not always, but I want to. Right? I, 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 if I'm being honest, I don't always believe him, but I want to. Or, or sometimes I believe, but not always. And if that's, if that's your answer, then you actually line up with an ancient prayer that we find from a father in Mark chapter 9. Um, remember that scene where the man brings... Uh, before Jesus, his son, 
uh, for healing. That boy's suffering from these demonic epileptic fits. And his, in that scene, Jesus is up on the Mount of Tra- Transfiguration and, and they're trying to cast out this demon that can't. And then Jesus comes down, he sees what's happening, and he says, you faithless generation. And Jesus, uh, he, he uh, the, well, the, the helpless father, he, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That's a prayer. And Jesus says, if I can, he says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then the boy's father, he immediately cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I believe, but not enough. Help, my, help me to believe more. Help my unbelief. And then Jesus heals the boy. And, and then interestingly, afterwards, uh, his disciples come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus says, well, this kind of thing, it only can be done in prayer. And, but a lot of us are in that third group. I believe, help my unbelief. Um, I, I want my answer to be a wholehearted yes, but it's not. Um, I, I have a little faith. Would you give me more? W- would you increase my faith? Right, so you're either an, a no, a yes, or an I believe, help my unbelief. Which are you? Um, park, park that answer for a minute, and let's return to the question, what do we do with these extravagant promises these blank checks from Jesus. And I think what we, what we normally do is we tend to explain them away, right? We, we tend to uh, explain them in a way that kind of drains them of their power. Yes, Jesus said it pretty extravagantly, but he's, he's probably being a little hyperbolic, right? What, what he's really speaking about is, hey, ask me anything in regards to the expansion of my kingdom, and, and in, in the area of my work, right, when it comes to, like, evangelism or uh, if you're going on a missions trip or, or discipleship, you know, religious activity is what he's speaking about. Jesus really isn't talking about the, the intimate, personal details of your life. And one of my teachers on prayer this year he said, when you do that, you've kept God infinite, but you've lost his closeness, and listen, in one sense, we, we do want to be careful in how we explain these verses, right? And we, we can absolutely rip them out of context and, and do a lot of damage by using them uh, in inappropriate ways, right? Much evil has been done by health, wealth, kind of prosperity preachers. Um, but can we just safely assume that Jesus isn't saying, hey, ask me for a million pounds and it'll be in your account by Monday, right? He's not... He's, I think we can reasonably assume, okay, he's not speaking about that kind of asking. Um, so, so we want to do two things. We want to, let's not explain these verses away and, and kind of sap them of their power. Uh, at the same time, let's not pick them up and, and use them inappropriately and, and uh, take them out of context. We, instead, we must actually listen to what Jesus is saying. Because he says a lot here. Yes, he says, ask me for anything. Ask me for whatever, but that's not all he says. Let's just scan those verses again quickly. Um, Chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, okay, he says, whoever believes in me, okay, whenever you ask in my name, he says, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay, so there's, there's this purpose in our 
in, in, in the prayers. His purpose in the receiving the answer for the prayers is for the, the glory of God. It's, it's, for, it's for those who have belief in Jesus. It's asking in his name, okay? Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Or, or the next one, 15, 15 to 16, he says, you're not servants anymore, you're friends. Okay? All that I've heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Right? So there's this aspect of knowing what the Father thinks. Okay? Coming in alignment with what the Father is being, his, his plans, his, his unfolding. Something, something there, right? In our asking. And then lastly, 16, 23 to 24, all of this is so that your joy may be full. So God's concerned for your joy. Okay, are you just focused on the ask for whatever, ask for anything, or are you hearing everything else that Jesus is saying? Yes, the promises are extravagant, but he's also painting a picture for us of, of what it looks like to, to ask in relationship with the one who hears the prayers. Okay, he's painting a picture for what it looks like to, to ask in relationship with the one who hears the prayers. And, and I really think the, the key ingredient that's, that's really highlighted throughout the Gospels, just like we've seen in, in Mark chapter 9 passage, is faith. Okay, actually Mark 11 Jesus makes this, another one of these extravagant promises about prayer, and there he highlights faith, says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. There's another one, um, and again, a lot of False prosperity teachers have abused this verse and say, name it and claim it, right? If you want the big house, uh, believe it and you'll receive it. What you, the reason you don't have it is because you don't have enough faith. If you can muster up enough faith, it will come to pass. Listen, that's nonsense, false teaching uh, that will destroy you, run from that kind of teaching. Because what Jesus is calling for, as we see at the top of that verse, is faith in God. He, he, belief in God, belief in who Jesus is, right? But belief that in what he's accomplished on your behalf, belief that, that through his death, you've been ransomed and have been reconciled to the heavenly father, right? Belief that, that only in Jesus can you find lasting rest for your soul and, and satisfaction for the deepest longings of your heart. Have faith in God, believe in him, Another word that we can use there is trust, right? I, I want you to trust me. And when you do, you can boldly come before your Father in prayer. I want you to trust me. And have you ever noticed how, how bold the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer are? That's how Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Is there, a, is there a bigger, bolder prayer in all of Scripture than that? He's saying, our Father, do these things. 
Um, you see, in, his, in his, his final moments before his death, in those, those chapters in John, Jesus is reminding his followers of their identity in him in relation to their father. And, and knowing who your father is is absolutely key to understanding what Jesus is saying in these extravagant promises about prayer. All through the Gospels, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, it's this discourse on life in the kingdom of God, and the underlying question that, he, that he's asking through the Sermon on the Mount is, don't you know who your father is? Like 16 times he says, your father, your father. He wants to remind us, our father and that's key. Knowing who your father is key to understanding what Jesus is saying about these extravagant promises about prayer. And I know this is kind of tricky for some of us, right? Because some of you have had terrible fathers, absent fathers. But, but here's the good news, is that in the gospel, through Jesus, you have a father that's perfect. You don't have to get, you can overcome that. Okay, you, you now have a father in Jesus that is infinitely better than any earthly dad you could ever imagine. You, you actually have a father that'll never abandon you, that, that'll never be heavy-handed. He's perfect. And, and this perfect heavenly father, he longs to give you what you most need. Okay, he, he wants you to know that he has a plan that actually includes you and it's glorious. And it's a plan that, that he will work out perfectly, and it's for your joy, it's for your good. And, and what Jesus is teaching in these extravagant promises, he's saying they're certain, and they're powerful when our hearts come in alignment with our Father's heart. And, and, and Jesus didn't just, he's not just teaching this at the end of his life, he actually lived it through his entire life, didn't he? He said, I, I've, I've not come to do my own will, I've come to do the, the, the will of the one who sent me. Right? Jesus, his, his heart was aligned with his father's heart, and, and he's calling us in these chapters to have the same heart as him. A heart that's, that's devoted and aligned with the Father's heart. And, and he says, when we, when we do that, we'll begin to desire what he desires. Right? We begin to want what, what he wants. And when we do, he says, ask for anything, and I'll do it. You actually get a, a glimmer of this in healthy, kind of earthly parent-child relationships. Um, I hate to use... I hate to use myself as an example, but it's all I kind of know. I'm not the perfect father, um, far from it. Uh, but even as an earthly dad, I want my kids to come to me and tell me what you want, right? Tell me what you desire. What, what's on your mind? What is your heart longing for? Nothing is off limits, right? Now, am I always going to say yes to exactly what they want? Of course not, right? Why? Because they don't know what's best for them yet. And, and they ask for... Uh, absurd things that, that, that aren't good for them, right? And I'm, I'm a, a decent heavenly dad, so I say no sometimes, or I'll say not yet, or, or, I'll, or I'll, I'll hear them, and, and I'll come alongside them and, and teach them that this isn't what's best for you, okay? There, there's something better along the way here, and, and you know what that, that results in? Lots of tantrums, okay? Um, lo lots of just, yeah, they don't learn straight away, 
I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with tantrums. You know, I have to be okay with uh, patiently working through that because they don't know yet. They, they don't learn straight away. They don't grow up overnight. But they must learn what good desires are and, and what are good wants. Um, or you know what? Sometimes Jenny and I will, will give them something or we'll say yes to things that aren't great for them. You know, keeping them, keeping them safe, keeping them within the boundaries. But, but we'll say, okay, you're going to have to learn. Um, uh, there's these scenes in my head of, you know, looking out in the garden and, and seeing Nona tittering on something. I'm like, she's definitely going to fall and scrape her knee. And my urge is to go out and grab her, but I'm just going to let you. And she does. She falls and hurts her knee and comes in crying. And, and a good parent will, will let them learn a little bit and keep them safe and, and do that. Parenting isn't always saying yes to every single thing your, your child wants. If it was, then it would, we'd have a, a relationship with a, a vend, like a vending machine, right? It would not be a deep relationship. It would be superficial. But you know what happens through that process is as Jenny and I do our best to love them and, and teach them, and they, they learn from us, and they, we have this kind of closer relationship, is they start to grow, right? They start to grow up. They, they start to ask, the things they ask for begin to change. I've experienced this with our Abe's our oldest, and um, he, you know, he'll come in and say, hey, thanks for that bowl of ice cream. One of the girls come in, I want some more, you know, and you're like, okay, Abe's starting to learn. He's starting to learn that you don't ask for a second bowl of ice cream at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> Maturity begins to happen. The others cry because I say no, but it's the process, isn't it? They begin to learn slowly what is good and healthy from their parents. Not always, because I love the second bowl of ice cream at post-bedtime. As they grow, our relationship begins to deepen. They, they begin to learn what's in our hearts. And you know what happens is, is we have to say no less. We start to say yes a lot more as they, as they, they begin to get it. Okay, when they're little, love the selfish uh, request from them. Give me the most absurd requests. I'm going to walk with you through that. We're going, to, we're going to navigate through that. But a good father ultimately wants his children to grow up. He wants them to desire good, healthy things, things that are good for them, things that, that actually bring them into closer relationship with them, things that, that are uh, for their good and, and, and joy ultimately. And, and so if a, 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 a decent, sometimes pretty crappy dad does that, how much more perfectly does our heavenly father do that? When teaching them to pray, Jesus tells his disciples, listen, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. But ask him. He's going to give it to you. So trust him. And Jesus says, if you want to know the father, if you want to know what he's told me and for me to tell you, if you want your, your heart to come in alignment with him, there's only one way to do that. Come to me. Okay, come, come be with me. This is what it looks like to, to, to know the Father and to have your heart aligned with Him and to grow and mature and learn. Learn not only what's best for you, but what's in the Father's plans. Come be with me. And so if you're in that first group that says, no, I don't believe Jesus when He says these things, I've asked before and I've got nothing, you might need to be more patient. 
You might be approaching God like a vending machine rather than a, a loving, caring father. You, you need to have your heart aligned with God's heart. And that looks like going to Jesus and abiding with him. If you're in that third group that says, I believe, help my unbelief, then, then what you need is your faith to increase. Right? You, you need more trust in God. Now, be careful here. Okay, don't hear me saying, you need to muster up more faith. Okay, that's, that's more self-reliance. Okay, that, that's a belief that says that what you need is somewhere inside yourself, which the opposite is actually true. Uh, what, what you need is, is outside of yourself. That was the case for your salvation. Okay, you're saved by grace. That saving, that saving faith was a gift, and that continues to be true. An increase of faith is something that he must do for you. And so the question is, what does that look like? What, what does it look like for God to increase my faith? If the goal is greater faith, greater trust in God, having your heart more aligned with God's heart, what does that process look like? When you read the scriptures, you see it, he does that in at least three ways. The first way he does that is through waiting. Right? So, so if you're in that first group, this, this one might be kind of hard for you. Sometimes we ask for even good things, and he says, not yet. I want you to wait. And I, I want you to learn to trust me and persevere. And that process will, will either harden your heart or it will deepen your relationship with your father. He's after the latter, but sometimes he asks us to wait and to watch and trust him. He increases our faith in that way. The second way he increases our faith is through suffering. And Romans 5 says this. This is an incredible verse. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that incredible? Right? Through faith, we, we are justified. Through faith, we have access into his grace and we stand there boldly. It's amazing. We rejoice in that. But Paul says that's not the only thing we rejoice in. He says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? But what about the, 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 the good stuff? We also rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Why? Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That's trust, okay? That doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given us, right? So, so suffering is not um, uh, something we have to fear. It's not something we have to begrudge. It's not something that has to harden us. We can actually rejoice because those hellish valleys produce something in us increases our faith. And the third way, as we've already seen, is by abiding in Jesus. Okay, our, our hearts are, are aligned with God's heart, and, and our faith increases when we abide with him and his words abide in us. And what I want you to see is, is, is when, when the Christian walks that path of waiting, and suffering, and abiding, it always results, hopefully, in a heart that's aligned with God. 
That's what those things produce. Their, their hearts are aligned with God. Here's what's different. Uh, Christianity is different from every other religion in the world because uh, our God does not leave it up to us to walk this path and to figure it out and to navigate it. No, he actually comes to earth himself and he shows us what that looks like by walking it first. Because what, what, where you see all three of these things most supremely is at the cross of Jesus. Let's just work our way through that. Just before his betrayal and his arrest, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we're told that it's this dark scene. Okay, he's sorrowful. He's deeply troubled because he knows what he's about to endure. And we're told that three times he prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus knows the plan. He's fully aware of what he must do, and yet he still prays that bold prayer to get close to his father in that moment. Dad, is there any other way? He's sweating drops of blood. He's deeply distressed. Dad, is there any other way? Listen, if you, if you think the waiting is easy, look at Jesus. It's not easy. It's dreadful. But he trusts the Father. He trusts that, that even if this cup doesn't pass from him, that the plan is good. And so he adds, not my will, but yours be done. Right? He's, he's praying boldly, and he's submitting completely. That's what genuine faith looks like. Actually, Jesus' brother, James, teaches this in James 4. He says, he says two things happen. First, he says, you, you, you do not have because you do not ask. Okay? But in the very next breath, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James says, here's two dangers to avoid. Okay? The danger of not asking prayerlessness, and then the danger of, of asking selfishly. He says, both of those result in, in you not getting what you pray for. And Jesus shows us the, the way to do this. We, we pray as Jesus prayed, okay? Praying boldly and submitting completely. What about the suffering? Right? Jesus hangs on the cross on our behalf, and he dies that death that we deserve in order to bring our hearts in alignment with God's heart. And again, if you think that was easy, uh, you haven't read the Bible. Okay? Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What pain, what, what sorrow. As he experienced God's just wrath and taking upon himself the sins of the world, and yet he trusts the Father on our behalf. And what got him through that, that suffering, that dread, was all that abiding with his father throughout his life. Okay? Jesus was constantly taking himself off to be with his father, constantly taking himself off to pray, rooting himself in his, his identity in his father, right? His trust was huge because of that. Jesus was prepared for this moment Okay? He didn't get through it just because he was God in the flesh, but also because he was a, a human man who made his, his first work, his primary work in life, prayer, and abiding with his Father. 
Right? So he was prepared for this. His, his heart was aligned with his father's heart. He's showing us the way through. And so not only does Jesus endure that journey to the cross so that we can uh, come to the throne room and ask these extravagant promises, these, these extravagant prayers, he also did it to show us the way that God increases our faith and aligns our heart with God. It's this holy paradox, right? That, that on one hand, there's nothing we can do to align our hearts with God. Right? That, that, that can only be accomplished through Christ's work on our behalf. What a gift of grace. We, we cannot earn this. Yet at the same time, the only way forward, the only way to glory with our Father is by walking the path of Jesus. Okay? The, the path of the cross. He demonstrates for us that our hearts are aligned with God's heart through waiting and through suffering and through abiding, never leaving his side. That's the only way for your trust in God to genuinely increase. You want help with your unbelief? You, you want your faith increased? You must walk the path of Jesus. He shows us that, that first comes suffering and death, and then comes glory. Right? First comes the cross, and then comes the crown. So listen to me. If you're willing to walk through those valleys with him by your side every step of the way, I'll be with you to the end of the age, trust me. But if you're willing to do that, there's a reward. There's a hope there's a trust, there's this belief that he produces in you that you cannot get anywhere else. And what happens is painfully and slowly and yet ever so joyfully, your desire for the things of this world begin to fall away. Your, your flesh begins to be stripped away and your heart begins to beat for what God wants. Right, your, your, your desires begin to, to line up with him. Why? Because you've seen his goodness, even in the darkest valleys. And, and right, right there, we have this powerful promise of prayer. Ask me anything, and I'll do it. Isn't he amazing? Don't you want that? If you want that, you must be willing to die. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, where's he going? Glory. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is the way into the kingdom. All right, and so if you're someone with a firm no, I don't believe Jesus when he says these things, you might need to pray for a softening of your heart. You might be dealing, man, with some, some real disappointment and some cynicism, and Jesus cares about that, but you might be lacking trust and faith in Jesus. You, you, you might be clinging to your earthly desires, right? Your will, your timeline, your kingdom come. You need to realize that Jesus is offering something far greater than those things, and so maybe your heart needs to be aligned with God's heart. You need to grow in trust 
and who your Father is, that his plans are good, that he wants your joy to be full, but you must trust him. You need a softening of your heart, and you only get that when you come to Jesus. And if you're in the I believe but help my unbelief group, um, you must be ready to walk the path of Jesus. You must be ready to walk the journey of the cross. It's, it's, it's only then that your heart is truly aligned with the Father's heart and your faith will increase. But listen to me, when you begin to have that increase, you begin to, to believe in who Jesus is and you, you believe that he's given you access to the Father and you believe that his spirit abides in you, we have this powerful weapon of prayer. Ask me anything and I'll do it. Prayer that moves mountains. Prayer that, that tears down strongholds. Prayer that has divine power. Don't you want this? Are we convinced, right? Do we believe that Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing? And do we believe him when he says, ask me anything in my name and I'll do it? If we believe those two things, uh, two things will happen. Firstly, uh, we'd never attempt anything without prayer. We'd never attempt evangelism with, without saturating it in desperate, bold, persistent prayers. We would never attempt church community without bold, desperate, persistent prayers. We would never attempt parenting or anything in life without bold, desperate, persistent praying. But secondly, we would never do those things sheepishly, right? We, we, the goal is greater faith in God and bolder prayers in action, confidence in, 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 in his plans and what he's doing. But we must see prayer as our first work in all that we do. I'll leave you some, with some encouraging words from a preacher who knows far more about powerful prayer than me. Charles Spurgeon says, I want you to understand your blessed responsibility, your practical obligation to bring forth fruit that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Abide in him. Never remove your consecration to his honor and glory. Never dream of being your own master. Refuse to be the servant of men, but abide in Christ. Let him be your object as well as your source of existence. If you get there and stop there in perpetual communion with your Lord, you will soon realize a joy, a delight, a power in prayer such as you never knew before. There are times when we are conscious that we are in Christ and we know his joy and the peace of fellowship with him. Let us abide there. Let that blessed sinking of yourself into his life, the spending of all your powers for Jesus and the firm faith of your union with him remain in you evermore. Oh, that we might attain to this by the Holy Ghost. Every believer should try to reach this place of boundless influence what might a church be if all her members were mighty in prayer? Aspire to be strong in the Lord and to, and to enjoy this exceedingly high privilege. It is within your reach, children of God. Only abide in Christ and let his words abide in you and this special privilege will be yours. These are not irksome duties, but they are in themselves a joy. 
Go in for them with your whole heart, and you shall have this added to you, that you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. What would a church be like if all its members were mighty in prayer? Church, let's go after this with everything that we have. It's reachable. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Would you stand with me and we'll pray?